If the current day ends in a Y, the funicular is fondue for maintenance. This week, council was off, so we had to find sources for news from places other than 50-something white guys who like to hear themselves talk. And found we did. We'll talk about speed limits, the funicular, drone delivery, and loitering. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 138, the first episode, I think, ever that we've done in a summer off-season council break. We're making history in our three-year podcast. And not taking a break, even though the heat is telling us that we should. I don't know if you're picking this up on the mic, but there is an ice cream truck right outside <laughs> my window just playing that. Let's, let's see if I can uh, bring this mic closer. All right, I'll crank that up in post, and hopefully we heard that fun noise. Uh, Okay, ice cream truck, play us off into the rapid-fire segment. Spray no more. With reduced mowing schedules, the city is seeing an increase in weeds in city parks. The city is now asking residents not to spray herbicide in public areas. The city is reminding residents that, depending on the spray used, there could be legal or even health implications with spraying it in a public area. We attempted to stake out a public park to spot a would-be weed-be-goner, but unfortunately, with school out for the summer, the toxic off-gassing of the prepubescent boys doing their mating dances in the park after bathing in Axe body spray was more dangerous than any herbicide could ever be. A seniors group in West Edmonton has presented a certificate of appreciation to David Germesian for his, quote, work in ensuring the bridge would be rebuilt. End quote. The pedestrian bridge over 170th Street has remained destroyed for the entire lifetime of this podcast. Since the mall destroyed the existing bridge, appealed the decision requiring that they rebuild it, and then haggled to have others, like the city, cover the majority of the rebuild cost. The seniors group presented multiple other certificates at the ceremony, including one to Jim Jones for his work, quote, ensuring people stop drinking Kool-Aid after the initial 909 downed it. Remax Field in Edmonton, Alberta, nothing to envy to the new Globe Life Field in Texas, was the headline of a Yahoo News article this week talking about the, quote, highly advanced and close to natural baseball-specific synthetic turf system installed by GTR Turf, end quote. The article, while appearing to be about the field, is actually a calculated move by AstroTurf, the artificial grass company, to prevent trademark dilution by ensuring that all advertisements disguised as news articles continue to be about artificial turf. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by the Business Council of Alberta. Have you ever wondered what it takes to create a good life in an equally good society, one where people, business, and the environment can flourish? Alberta Better, a podcast by the Business Council of Alberta, is on a journey to understand what it takes to create a good life here in Alberta and how we, as Albertans, businesses, and governments, can shape our society so everyone prospers. Find new episodes of Alberta Better, that's all one word, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at businesscouncilab.com slash Podcast. That's businesscouncilab.com slash Podcast. New episodes drop every other Tuesday. So Mac, this week, Council was on summer break, and we're going to let the listener into how the sausage gets made a little bit. This is going to be one of those episodes. We have these every year or so where... You know, normally we do some prep work before the episode. We <laughs> we do some research. We're following the events. And sometimes it's a Wednesday evening and we're like, eh, what can we throw into a doc? 
a little bit. And I think to be fair to us this time, we are figuring out exactly how we're going to serve you, dear listener, coming up to the municipal election. And we just haven't quite nailed that down yet. Hence the position we're in. What better way to deal with a lack of decision than phoning it in? So let us begin. Uh, so as we mentioned, council is on summer break. They won't be back until August 9th. But uh, you actually wrote an article recapping that it was a pretty spicy switch into break. Yeah, I basically just looked at the last month since their last break or a little over a month since their last break at some of the major decisions that they made. We've talked about a number of them on the show. Probably the most contentious one was the face coverings bylaw uh, amendment that brought an end to the requirement for masks as of July 1st. Uh, And we, in a previous episode, told you all about how that sausage was made. Another one was, of course, the two sanction hearings for Mike Nickel, both of which he escaped sanction during. And then we had some budget stuff happen as well, including the bylaw to borrow for that 170th Street pedestrian bridge we talked about in the rapid fire, the weed management program, which we also talked about in the rapid fire, uh, and of course, the capital budget uh, adjustments. And that included a bunch of different things. There was one proposal there that kind of had a split vote for the most part, you know, aside from nickel voting no all the time, most of the decisions are fairly unanimous, but there was a proposal to widen Parsons Road, and it would cost another $800,000. And it was defeated 10 to three. So that one was interesting, I suppose, but most of them, you know, basically just passed. Another one that I saw that was interesting, we mentioned that air services opportunities fund, this is the fund to, I guess, give incentives to airlines to get them to fly in and out of Edmonton, that was passed by council 11 to two. And it was only Zadok and Nickel who voted against that. But for the most part, I would say that most of the decisions were unanimous, which was sort of interesting to me during that that month and a bit period. When it's Zadok and Nickel against, isn't it really as close to unanimous as yeah. you'll ever get? I mean, it's surprising that Banga didn't vote against it. The other thing I looked at in that article is just a little bit of a preview of what's coming up, because of course, when council does come back in August, they really only have about a month And then they're off again until the municipal election is done. And we have a new council. The percent for art policy, which we talked about before, is going to be coming. The new draft is going to be coming to council. It's one of the first things they'll discuss in August, which is quite interesting. And of course, heading into September, we will again be discussing the snow and ice control policy. In the past, when we had been talking about speed limits uh, and the various delays that had gone about in our process to reduce speed limits, one of the things that I had indicated was a point of concern is if we delayed it too long, we'd be in a position where speed limits were changing immediately before a municipal election so that Mm -hmm. it was very top of mind. And now far worse than that, we're having an upcoming election period where council is deciding on the percent for art policy. Art's always contentious. Speed limits will be changing. And calcium chloride. Nothing makes people angrier than calcium chloride. That all of these things are coming up directly before an election, that does worry me a little bit. Yeah, and it's been a kind of a trend, I think. Maybe, I mean, I'm going to say it's a trend. As someone who pays attention to council every week, it does seem like there's been a lot of things that have been delayed or pushed back. And that's not unusual. Like, Often reports are redirected to a future meeting, but it seems like it's happened a bit more 
lately than it had before. And maybe that's just the effects of COVID or something. But it does lead to the situation where the things they want to get decided before the next council kind of all get jumbled up together in this final month. And and we've heard of some other things where they're like, no, we're not going to deal with that. That's going to be the next council, such as, you know, the paid parking in parks. They essentially kicked that to the next council. So it should be a fairly interesting month-long period. I think there's some other items that have the potential to be really contentious, like as we've talked about, designating the Pedway a catalyst project is also coming back in this period. It'll be very interesting to see what council actually does with those things, or if maybe some of those things get kicked down down the road to the next council. One decision that was made and made unanimously uh, just recently, it was council, they eliminated loitering tickets for people on transit and at ETS facilities. Yeah, Global News and the story called this a landmark decision. Uh, when it comes to how the city handles vulnerable people around transit. So this kind of came out of that video that you might recall from back in February when it was really cold, like freezing cold, and Edmonton police officers kicked people out of the LRT station. And I mean, a lot of people were shocked by that and called for change and sort of amped up the advocacy efforts to try to get council to do something about it. And now that's what they've done. They, as you said, unanimously decided that you won't get a ticket now for loitering on transit or at ETS facilities, and instead they will receive support. Now, I don't think they said a whole lot about what that support will look like just yet, but this is still a good thing that you're not going to get a fine. It sounds to me like they're defunding the police. We're reducing ticket revenue and we're changing to a supportive, uh, socialized model. Like this sounds like exactly what defund the police was asking for. It's just council opted not to do that. And administration seems to be at least in a small, small very minute way doing it anyway. No, I think maybe it's council and administration are aligned on what they wanted to do here, but administration can't change their procedure in this case because the bylaw did say that you couldn't loiter. And so what council unanimously voted on here is actually an amendment to the bylaw. So uh, the, the conduct of transit passengers bylaw is the one we're talking about. It still exists, but they've replaced the language to not mention loitering and instead to say that you can't have inappropriate behavior that can be reasonably expected to interfere with the safety or comfort of others. So it's a little bit more specific language. And that, I gather, is enough to allow administration to change its procedures. It's really funny. I was reading the internet comments on one of the news stories for this. Uh regrettably. But one of the posters was complaining that this was a bad change because, you know, he was scared. Like previously, he'd seen someone in the transit facilities chase another passenger down with a machete. And he's like, well, now we're not going to be able to issue tickets to these people. No, chasing nope. someone with a machete <laughs> is still illegal. That is still something putting someone in danger. Yes. Or at least disrupting their comfort. So still in the bylaws, something you can't do. Yeah. Sitting on a bench is fine now. Yes. Except if you're in a funicular, in which case don't sit on that bench. You'll cook. Uh, the city of Edmonton has shut down the funicular again. And it seems like the funicular is shut down more frequently than it is not. We had heard in the winter that, you know, there were errors with the doors and at certain temperatures, the doors couldn't operate properly. So once it got really cold, we weren't able to operate the funicular. Well, it's summer and it's really, really hot. I don't need to tell the listener that it's really hot. And apparently the funicular is not operational when it's hot either. Yeah, the city has decided that whenever the temperature is 30 degrees or higher, which is happening 
more and more frequently, there's that climate change for you, they will not operate the funicular because the sealed cab, the same thing that causes problems in the winter, apparently can reach temperatures of 50 degrees Celsius inside in the summer when it's that hot. So in June, we had six days that hit 30 or above, which is above average. July, we've had many more than that already, I think. Whenever it's that hot, they're not going to run the funicular. But as you say, that's not that out of the ordinary for the funicular, unfortunately. I haven't used it in the past year very much because one, it was shut down for COVID and then the rest of the world was shut down for COVID. So I didn't have a lot of reason to go downtown. But even when I was going downtown very frequently, the funicular was always a problem. And you'd always get to the bottom of the funicular and it would be a crapshoot whether it'd be operating that day or not. Maybe it'd be regularly scheduled maintenance, which seemed to happen at least a couple days a month, which is a lot. Maybe it was someone broke a piece of glass and now it's not running anymore. Maybe it was some other reason that it wasn't operating. Or maybe it was just like past 9 p.m. and you can't use a funicular in the evenings. But it was very unreliable as a piece of transportation infrastructure. I gather the city's attempt to have it continue to operate as transportation infrastructure is why they've decided they'll operate it in the mornings when it's really hot and just close it later in the day. But it's not very effective when you can only get one way and you can't get back, right? You can't go back down with the funicular. So... I mean, it's really challenging to consider the funicular as a core part of our transportation infrastructure when it's so unreliable. You know, we don't want to be funicular haters because it's very gauche. And, you know, I mean, if the Edmonton Journal wants to pay me to be a columnist, by all means, I'll hate on the funicular. But (laughs) I think we both generally like the idea of the funicular and the funicular itself, right? Yeah. And indeed, we had pulled up as part of looking at the story, the article from December 9th, 2017, celebrating the launch of the 24 million River Valley funicular. And there were some quotes in the article that, um, I don't know, haven't aged very well. (laughs) This is from the mayor. Uh, The mayor said, we think it's worth the cost from a tourism and brand promotion point of view, from a health and wellness and recreation point of view. And because Edmontonians love their river valley, this is going to give them a whole new way to get in and out of it, especially from the busy downtown core. Nope. (laughs) Can't get in and out. Nicola doesn't work. No. This is a $24 million project, as you said, when it was built. And the city was quite happy at the time to talk about it being on time and on budget. I recall that the city itself only put in a really small amount of money, like a couple million bucks or maybe less than that. And the majority of this came from the feds. And I think that was why we built it. And I was wondering if maybe in our rush to not lose the federal funding, we built a funicular that maybe isn't quite as good as one we could have built ourselves. But you thought maybe not. Yeah. So the thing about the funicular is it is a very nice product. Like when you get in the funicular and you ride it, it's a smooth ride. It feels nice. It looks great. I don't think we bought a lemon model. I think we bought a model that wasn't designed for us. You know, as much as people like to say, oh, Edmonton's winter eight months of the year. No, you know, we're we're a winter city. Sure. Our funicular should be able to operate in the winter, but we're also a very swingy city. Right now, it's very visible. We get very cold and we get very hot. And it needs to operate on both ends of those spectrums. And it seems like this funicular was designed to operate in somewhere like Norway or Sweden. Portland or... <laughs> exactly. Somewhere yeah. that's like adjacent to the ocean, has something that really smooths out their temperature curves. For Edmonton, this just seems like 
the wrong product. And I think that's really unfortunate because when it works, it's great, but it does present the brand and not in the way that Don Iveson liked to talk about. Things working halfway does seem to be an Edmontonian thing. <laughs> but despite that negative ad, uh, apparently that won't stop Edmonton from growing. We had the chart of the week this week, and Edmonton's population will grow, though different orders of government sort of disagree exactly how much. Yeah, this was interesting to me just because they are sort of different, all these projections. So the latest one is from the Provincial Ministry of Treasury Board and Finance. They looked at each of the census divisions from 2021 to 2046. And in the medium growth scenario for our census division, so it's the region as well as parts of Wetaskiwin and Brazo County, we're going to grow from 1.5 million people to about two point, just under 2.3 million people by 2046. So that's annual growth on average of one and a half percent is just slightly behind Calgary and Grand Prairie. The other ones that we already knew about, so the EMRB, the region board, they project that by 2044, we're going to get to 2.2 million. So very similar, very close. But the one that is a little bit more aggressive is actually the city plan. The city plan projects that Edmonton alone is going to hit 2 million people by 2040. So it definitely outpaces these other projections, which I thought was kind of interesting. I think one other interesting component of it is this sort of fluctuation and disagreement on projections is built into the city plan. Our call back to our episode with Kaylin Anderson, where we really dug into the city plan. And one of the things she mentioned was that they didn't really set hard dates in the city plan because really what the city plan is based off of is population. They hit population targets. Yeah. So if we hit the 2040, great, you know, we, we were right. But if it takes longer or less time, the city plan will still continue to function because their milestones are population based. Yeah, good point. And you know, we are growing up pretty quickly to be a big city. You hear about the dystopian cities in the United States with Amazon and Domino's Pizza doing drone deliveries and people looking to the sky and seeing all their jobs disappearing into mechanized flying vehicles. And that's coming to Edmonton too. Edmonton is the first city in Canada, or at least the airport is the first in Canada to jump on drone delivery. So the EIA has signed an agreement, a new agreement, I should say, with Drone Delivery Canada as a drone company. And they're going to operate delivery drones out of the airport. They can take packages of up to four and a half kilograms to landing zones in NISCU, and then there's two courier services that are going to use this to, I guess, get the package the rest of the way. So it's a baby step, but it's an important one. And this builds on some work that the airport has already done. They had previously, a couple of years ago before COVID, uh, signed an agreement with the same company to do cargo delivery within the airport itself. So they could have transportation by drone from one part of the airport to another. So this is the first time now that it'll allow drone delivery service to leave the airport grounds. And that's a first in Canada, which is pretty cool. Do other cities have airports that make this much news? It feels like every week we're talking about the Edmonton International Airport. And I find it weird to be talking about an airport so much, especially when that's not actually in our city. I mean, we pay more attention to Edmonton, I suppose, than other cities. So it's natural that we'd see that airport more. But I would say we're a little bit of an underdog compared to the other, you know, the big four airports, certainly. And uh, we've got a punch above our weight. So props to the folks at EIA for actually giving us 
something every single week. You know, is this real news or not? Well, it's progress. All of these things are maybe small little things, but it does add up to, you know, a, p- a bigger picture of innovation happening there. They talk about Airport City and they have all this interesting stuff happening at the airport that is not actually about airplanes, which is fascinating. That is a trend that happens all over the world. All kinds of airports are doing that. They're really expanding beyond just airplanes into other kinds of logistics and innovation. But our airport seems to do a good job of talking about it, at least. And on that note, I'll say that I saw plans released from the EIA this week that were basically proposed alignments for high-speed rail and LRT. Should the city and the province want to build those two things to the airport, the EIA is right there and has schematics ready to go as soon as someone else builds it. Trains go fast. Planes go fast. In Edmonton, cars now, as of August 6th, go slow. At least that's the message we were getting <laughs> this week. So much slower that your trip is going to be 24 seconds longer than it was before. We have learned finally that the 40 kilometer an hour default speed limit will take effect on August 6th. So kind of like you said, Troy, right before the election. This story really showed a bias in journalism in the city of Edmonton and how journalism and headlines can really frame the debate. And nothing was more clear to that to me than the Edmonton Journal article that was released with the headline, quote, hit the brakes. Edmonton's 40 kilometer hour default speed limit starts August 6th. That's in contrast to CBC, which just said 40 kilometer an hour speed limit for residential downtown Edmonton roads comes into effect August 6th. You know, you understand what the Edmonton Journal is saying there. It's saying, hey, slow down. But when you think about that contextually and what it means to get in and drive a car, in order to hit a speed in a car, you have to accelerate. So why are you hitting the brakes? Why aren't you just accelerating less? You start and end at your home. The framing of hit the brakes as if this is a punitive measure rather than what it is, which is a measure to make our communities more livable. I thought that was really interesting. And if you look at the comment section, exactly what the headline was attempting to inflame was exactly what was inflamed in the comment section. Oh, you should never read the comments. I take it you don't like the opening sentence either, which said, slow your roll. Edmonton's default speed limit is dropping to 40 kilometers an hour on August 6th. And I think that messaging was all around the city this week. Things saying like, you know, slow down. And I'm looking in the notes here. And you even went through and said, oh, you know, Mac going to Troy's house will take 0.4 minutes longer or 24 seconds. But that's one, not true, because when you factor in stop signs and acceleration and deceleration, you can't just do like 50 minus 40 and then the difference in kilometers an hour because acceleration is a huge part. But also... That's the wrong way to frame this message. Every counselor has been doing this. It's like, oh, this only delays your commute by 20 seconds or 30 seconds. Isn't that worth the time in your life? Why are we framing this as if 50 kilometers an hour is a God-given divine right that was enfranchised when people came from Europe with their <laughs> beep beep cars? Like, what what's going on here? I think that's a really great point. And I, you know, just used the city's tool and they went to the effort of developing a tool the estimated time of arrival tool where you plug in a start address and an end address and it tells you how much longer your trip is going to take or not take. So, I mean, they even turned this into code, right? They took this framing of it that you're quite rightly pointing out, I think is flawed and, and actually built a tool that helps you do that even more. They also pointed out some other things that 
further that narrative. So they were quick to point out that the grace period for enforcement is the month of August. So they're not going to start enforcing this until September 1st to help drivers adjust their behavior. Cool. So, uh, I mean, we've now informed Mike Nickel that his grace period is till the election. Do you think he's going to be kinder on social media (laughs) in recognition of that grace period? Not likely. No. Two other quick facts about this. Uh, Playground zones remain 30 kilometers an hour in effect from the posted times. Default is now 40 outside of those times. So no change there. And even with all of this, there are still 22 roads that won't be reduced because uh, they'll stay at 50 kilometers an hour due to wider road design. My go-to example for one of these is if you are a South Side boy like me, the road just to the west of Bonnie Dune Mall, you know that big one that you know used to go up to the traffic circle before oh, yeah. it became this you know five-point intersection? That one is a residential collector roadway. The thing that's like like a speedway. (laughs) It's a speedway. It's between a mall. Like it doesn't feel like it has nice curves in it that you can glide around. No, I don't do that. That's an example of one of the roadways that will remain at 50 kilometers an hour because it was clearly designed for a higher speed limit. Yeah. And I think this was a learning that council took away from the playground zone implementation where, you know, there were playground zones in industrial areas that just didn't make sense to be 30 kilometers an hour. So I think they're looking to have less pushback on this. I pushed for this for a long time. I've, I've uniquely done a lot of work to lower speed limits in the city of Edmonton. I'm happy to see it happen, but maybe I'm getting older but the whole thing starts sort of comes out as like a sigh for me as like, this is great, but I can't really muster the will to get excited about it. Jessica Lamar, who's the director of trans- traffic safety at the city, uh, talked about it, obviously, when they made the announcement and said that it'll help make things safer for everybody and move us closer to meeting our Vision Zero targets. And I would suspect that's why it's kind of meh for you, because we know that 30 kilometers an hour is better than 40 kilometers an hour to move us in that direction. And we'll take the progress. We'll take 40 over 50, but it's not as good as it could have been. And everybody knows that. Yeah. And in fact, when council made this motion, they were all acknowledging, you know, 30 is better. This is the compromise that's politically palatable. Yeah. Speaking of palatable politics, uh, we're going to close out with everyone's at this point favorite segment we don't solicit feedback from you listener i just assume your opinions based on what i enjoy doing and eh, this is one thing that i enjoy doing so you're getting it uh the first one that i tracked down uh is scott johnston who's (laughs) i never saw this until i looked at the notes just now (laughs) so it's really interesting uh he's running in ep kokani piozzi uh which you know I've practiced. I can you say, learn to say it for sure. But some people struggle to say it. And he made a little button with a pictograph. And we'll put the tweet in the show notes. But it's E, it's a pea pod, a can of kokanee, another pea pod, some oats, and then the word C with some eyes. EP kokanee piozzi. That's pretty smart, actually. At yeah. First I thought this looks kind of funny because it's like, I mean, it looks like something that you'd make in grade school or something, right? Minus the kind of kokanee beer. But that's probably an effective way for the people that he's reaching out to to learn this. Yeah, and like, sure, maybe you're anglicizing a few things. Maybe, you know, this isn't portraying all of the indigenous culture behind the word. 
But that's something that you can learn independently of learning how to say it. When you're out of the door, I think it goes much further for people to be able to discuss using the actual ward name versus the other person embarrassed because they can't say it. And they're like, I don't know how to say these new ward names. And they get defensive. I think this is a really cool bridge to build. And, you know, I'd say I'd be looking forward to more of this stuff on council. But Scott Johnston is not a progressive councillor who I want to see elected. So good on the button, though. Uh, I would also say, yeah, he could take this to the next level by eliminating the Ward 10 in brackets from all of his materials, his Twitter page, his marketing campaigns. There is no more Ward 10. It's not it's the true. same thing. We giveth and we taketh away. Candidates, get on your election segment at your own risk. This week, uh, July 10th, was 100 days until the municipal election, and every candidate told us that. Um, it was very <laughs> interesting and novel to hear that there's 100 days until the election. We've confirmed they can all use a calendar. That's great. <laughs> did you find anyone that actually did anything interesting with the 100 days, or was it all just, give me $100? Yeah, pretty much. It was like, we're running a solid campaign. we got 100 days to go. Let's make it happen. Okay, um, cool. <laughs> Last week, we had the high-speed rail counterpoint to the Hyperloop. Uh, did you hear any candidates weigh in on the two, uh, either support or against? Yeah, definitely in support. We heard from mayoral candidate Cheryl Watson, who said that the creation of a privately funded high-speed rail line would be a game-changer for economic growth and collaboration. And I've heard her talk about that before, back when she was VP of Innovation at EDC. She was keen on having, you know, this high-speed rail or some sort of high-speed transportation between the two cities. And she pointed out, following that news that we talked about last week, that this is part of her campaign platform. Here's the thing, okay? And I've said this before. Cheryl Watson is the candidate designed by committee. If you look at Cheryl Watson's platform, there is something for everyone to agree on in that and equally it's a camel uh i think back to the downtown vibrancy policy which is all like stuff you could very well agree on a very good policy about you know revitalizing the downtown increasing business supports and giving free parking and this is part of that where you know expressing support for high speed oil great let's talk about innovation and the game changer of the hyperloop you know cheryl not everything is tech, uh, and tech won't solve us. We need strong, proven solutions. And I think nothing was funnier on this point than Aaron Paquette, instead of commenting on high-speed rail this week, just quote-tweeted himself from three years ago saying, <laughs> why haven't we done high-speed rail yet? <laughs> now, some listeners may be nervous, given what Max said at the beginning of the episode, that we were still deciding how we were going to frame <laughs> political coverage. <laughs> I was trying to express that. It came out badly, but yeah. We are not going to be Troy runs carte blanche over candidates and pushes his own agenda. That's that's what this two minute segment at the end is designed to do. It's an outlet for that <laughs> vending process. But Mac, you have, at least in the rough, plans for better coverage. Can you give us any sneak peeks of what that might look like? Yes, Taproot as a whole is much better prepared for our election coverage uh, than our podcast is, Troy. Uh, we have taken the People's Agenda listening series that we did, the series of events, all of the feedback that we gathered through the forum, and we've analyzed all of that data. We've really drilled into what it is that people want their candidates to talk about. And we're now taking 
a couple of next steps on that. We are working to build a voter's guide. This will be an opportunity for you as a voter to get matched with candidates who share the same views as you do. And we'll have uh, some new things to share about that very soon. And we've also already got in the works a number of stories um, based on things that came up during the listening series, the things we heard from people throughout the whole People's Agenda process that we're going to delve into. These are going to be features and as well as some um, you know, adjacent pieces. They're going to help people understand those issues better so that when you do go to ask your candidates about something, you can be really confident that you understand the ins and outs of it. And hopefully... Some of the candidates will also read that and be in a better position if they happen to get elected on October 18th. And you can look forward to all of that stuff coming out in the ensuing months before we get to that October date. Um, We can't get to October without uh, funding this podcast, and that comes from reading you ads. And this episode is brought to you by Shift Podcast by Alberta Innovates. Shift showcases the work being done in the province's innovation ecosystem, everything from health to clean energy. You can join hosts Katie Dean and John Hagen as they interview researchers, entrepreneurs, and businesses that are shifting our perspective about innovation in the province. You can find Shift Podcast by Alberta Innovates on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast, including this one where you should be subscribed. Go subscribe to this and Shift if you want to. You can also find it at shift.albertainnovates.ca. That's shift.albertainnovates.ca. And that's all for this week. We did it. We did it. If I didn't tell you that um, we were flying by the seat of our pants on this one, would you know? I don't know. But I think... This is the end. Okay, you you would know. You would know. <laughs> you would know if you listened all the way to the very end. Yes. And we hope you listen to the very end of every episode, including the one coming up next week. Until then, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally.